I'm Mick Tully and this is Mixed Martial Arts. Ladies and gentlemen, today I've got a friend of mine. We've just been trying to work out how long we've known each other and it's, been, it's a, a long while now. I, I'm, I'm sure it was 1990s <laughs> yeah. is what we're gonna, we're gonna be at, aren't we? Somebody, if you're from Coventry, doesn't need any introduction and if Max Clifford weren't in jail, we could get him to be your PR man, <laughs> but maybe no. The one guy that, unless you know him, a lot of people have an opinion and it's always an ill-informed one. And it's uh, one and only Shane Jr. Shane, thanks for chatting to me, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. No, 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 definitely. So we're going to start, right, right at the beginning of your training. So yeah. what, what was it first? Boxing. Boxing was my first love of, this, of the combat sport. First started it was in Bow Green Boxing Club. Wow. With old Martin and Fred and all yeah. the pains and the rest of them. Really? So, yeah, way back when I was eight years old. Well, you see, this is, I'm going to sort the great thing about, the great thing about when I do stuff with this, especially with people that I know is, I can ask really nosy questions, right? <laughs> and get away with it and lie about it and just say, oh, it's in the interest of uh, doing the podcast. But one thing that's always like, freaked me out about you is, Shane, your Irish heritage and then British Army, right? Yeah. So, I, I think I'm already answering the question here, but how is a kid who's sort of Irish, lives in Belgreen in Coventry, which I don't think it's got a finishing school there, has it? You know what I mean? It's, it's a bit of a rough and tumble area still, right? Yeah, well, I think that's probably given me uh, the foot up the ladder I needed as far as that was concerned. Really? Um, it all stemmed from, you know, being from Coventry, you know, it has its stigma as well, of, um, you know, being quite a rough city, you know, a lot of fighting going on. Then um, I, I just felt I was going down the wrong track when I was younger. And then an incident happened at in the Bobby's nightclub. Yes. Two, two young kids got yeah. stabbed to death. And I took a look at that because they were the same age as me at the time. And I, uh, I, just, I just really thought I needed to do something different and get myself. I see myself going down the same, same road, get myself in the same And how old were you then? I was not 18, 19. Yeah, because when you first got into boxing, because I always just knew you as. Uh, you know, primarily a boxer, and then obviously the next thing you know, somebody has said to me, "Oh, Shane, Shane's joined the army," and I was like, "This kid, I'm sure that kid's Irish." I tried to join the army. How did he get into it? Because I tried to join the Irish Guards in 1985, but in 1985 it was it was a bit more a bit more of a volatile time. So, what what regiment did you join? Um, yeah, well, first of all, I think you're giving away your age a little bit there, as well. <laughs> um, just a bit. But yeah, but, um, well, it was a parachute regiment I joined. Being competitive-minded, as I uh, started boxing when I was eight, and if I was going to join the army, it was you know parachute regiment was the one to join. The best, that, right? that was the one that was going to test me. I was obviously I was in two minds whether I should or shouldn't. So if I was going to do it, then I was going to go aim high and see where I went from there. When you were boxing, how far did you go as an amateur? As an amateur, um, I was a Midlands and Southern uh, area champion and boxed champion numerous times, um, semi-finalist the, the national championships, who I lost to James Hare. Yeah? Yeah, James wow. Hare, he went on and won it. Yeah. Um, good fight. I think I had him in the first round. Didn't finish it. He just um, ran for me for the next two. But and yeah, who, and was, who were your heroes? Who were your heroes in boxing when you first started? Uh, Sugar Ray Robinson. Really? Sugar, Sugar Ray Man. Robinson, always has been, always has been for me. You know, he was perfectly balanced, you know, struck fighter. Uh, boxer had come everything it, movement it, it was, he, he was a complete package a lot of people don't realise just how good he was but if, if, 
any fights any fights fights from the sugar man that stand out for you um it's, it's, well it's, it's got to be the lamar fights hasn't it you know they, they're just they speak for themselves you know they don't need any introduction at all but is, i'll tell you what i was only looking i watched raging bull again recently right and i met jake lamotta a few years ago and it was really hard for me because I, I, really hard for me to reconcile this guy who Bobby De Niro played in the movie with this old guy wearing a cowboy hat over at the NEC, right? Who was signing autographs. And he, he was like a right gent to me, Lamar was. You know, and I was like boring, I was, yeah, I was nausing him because I was such a boxing fan. And he was like super understanding. But I'll tell you what, I think realistically speaking, you know, we've had a couple of guys like, you know, like Vinny Pazienda and boys like that, you know, mad. You've had the odd couple of mad boxers recently whose lives were like absolute car crashes as well. But, you know, Lamotta was one of the last, for me, probably tough, you know, like tough men who went into boxing, you yeah, know, like the Marcianos and that. Real spitting sawdust. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. they all started to become athletes then, you know what I mean? It's... If you look at it, I always look at it this way, I don't know what your opinion is on this, but you look at Sunni Liston and then you look at Muhammad Ali and you're like, they're not even the same species. Like, when people talk about Tyson being a scary man, you know, Sunny Liston, Sonny Liston was a badass. Yeah. Eh? Yeah, he had the perfect left hook, didn't he? So, yeah, and then some, and then yeah, some. I mean, Ali himself, I think, and... Sugar Robinson stole themselves on them, didn't they? They did indeed. Oh, I think I read a story somewhere where Sugar Robinson used to uh, dance outside his gym or something like that. It was, really? Yeah, I don't know the complete details, but yeah. yeah. So, so what? So when you when you went went into the Paris, did you box in the regiment as well? Did you? No. Um, when I first joined, uh, I was young, <laughs> rebellious. Um, I was in bother more than more than I was out doing anything else while I was in there. So I didn't really get much, much chance to get into the team. You had to be, yeah, you had to, you had to be um, a bit well behaved. And play by the rules, yeah? Yeah. So how did you, if you don't mind me asking, because you are a bit of a rebellious character, how did you, how did you handle the regimental side? Like, you know, like, I, I mean, like how regimented it is, you know, Revelace at like half five, you're up, you're out the door. Did you question any of that or did you just go along with it? No, none of, none of that was my, none of that was an issue with me. You know, I quite enjoyed it and I still, I still thrive it today. Um, and it's given me a real structure to my own life as well. But I think that the thing that really that was getting me was, because I was quite a strong character yeah. and you kind of have to lose that a little bit. Especially when you're younger, you're, you're rebellious and you're to changing who you are a little bit. So I think that was my um, Hercules heel as far as while I was in the regiment there. How long were you in for? Um, just short of three years then. And, then. and then where did you go from there? I actually asked for my own discharge then after spending a, a spell in the glass house for a little while. <laughs> so, and is that, is that as bad as, is it as, is it as, bad as uh, that, normal that, jail? That place is horrendous. That, that is real jail. That's, you know, I believe everybody should be put through that first time. Really? If you go through that first time, I think they'll be less offending, re-offending. Just, it, it, just hardcore. Hardcore, yeah. And what, what, what is it? Is yeah. it just like mentally? Mentally, hard? just the regime, you know, everything about it. You know, there's no TVs. We, you know, we had to win a radio once a week between us. Wow. Um, you know, when, you've, when you messed up there, you, lose your, you lost your remission time. So it was, it was real, a real punishment for not 
keep them to the walls. Wow. But it, it did me good as well. It also, that also did me good. It, it made me check myself, you know. Yeah. Um, um, so when you, left, when you left the army, where did you go from there? Um, well, I asked my own discharge because I, I did have a, an offer to turn professional at the time, which was uh, to go with matchroom. Yes. Uh-huh. Um, yes. So, uh, so I asked for my own discharge then. So, which, which they, they granted me. I'd had a few, a few professional then, but through injuries and then I lost, ended up losing the promoter through a riot that kicked off at one of my shows. Which, where was this at? This was at Dudley some years ago. Yeah? Yeah. Um, <laughs> i tell you what, that's going to lead me into, lead me into something, right? Because you get some serious support, right, when you fight, okay? And it's always eventful, it's the best lines I can use, right? And what, what, was, the, what was the riot over? Uh, well, it was a bit of a suspect decision from the referee. Yeah. That's what I can gather. I was winning the fight. I got caught with the punch. Who's a peach of the punch? Was so, it? Yeah, it was a peach. Uppercut <laughs> came from the floor. But, oh, um, Jesus. Yeah, I got up. And the ref just waved it straight away. So, rather than giving me the and chance. And started giving so, me a chance to rally and get back into it. Yeah, didn't you? So, I think then, because there was a lot of, a lot of the football guys. Yes. Were amongst the um and who were you fighting was it a local? Both sides. no it was a guy from Doncaster all oh, right uh, from up north I don't really know the politics of it and why the ref did what he did but it's just it is what it is yeah, yeah. do you know what sometimes it's you know the, the problem with the problems with referees is every now and again you'll get guys like Mark Goddard who's awesome in the UFC and then what you do is you get someone like no yeah Mario Yamasaki who wants somebody to die in the, he wants somebody to die in that cage yeah, yeah. I, I believe I believe that the promotion shouldn't be allowed to choose the referee right I think a lot of that's where a lot of the why some of the decisions or the biased by the referees is caused but there's always an agenda you know yeah. it's, like, it's like when you see that they want wages like everywhere else. They want to keep getting paid. So. Exactly well, it's like when you see now you see a lot of the white collar boxing and the white collar MMA fights and the guy who's setting it up, who's doing the matching, you're like, some of these guys don't look good, but he doesn't want his gym to look bad. So he's not going to, you know, yeah. me, you know, like me and you would turn around and go, right, if he's the same height, same weight, roughly same age, same experience, we'll go. We're not going to look at someone and go, yeah, if he's 20 years older than me, we're now pretty kip. Yeah, throw him in there, because yeah. he's the man I know I can beat. I think a classic, classic example of it, with the referee thing is, I remember watching Hatton against Mayweather, Yes. I can't remember the referee's name. Yeah, uh, I can't remember. I know what you're yeah. on about, yeah. But, you know, I'm not saying the, decision, the, the outcome would have been any different that night, but it would have been a completely different fight if yeah. Ricky had been allowed to fight inside, which was where Ricky was going to fight. Yeah. Being allowed to fight. Yeah, you're not gonna, the referee you're... was so one-sided on stopping that. And then, to highlight it, I think about two months later or something, it was... Bernard Hopkins against Kazagi. Yes. Same referee, same promotion. Same story. But he it? allowed Hopkins to fight inside. Ah. Totally opposite. So he was very. It was, it was very inconsistent then, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. He, what, he, what, he, you know, he was very pro-American, I think. Yeah. About. Or. Pro- well, unfortunately, at the end of the day, it, it, it is as simple as this. You know, Conor McGregor will sell fights. But guess what? Mayweather will always sell, sell fights. Yeah. And Americans like nothing more than seeing the American win, you know yeah. what I mean? 
yeah. it, it is it's a bit of a mad one so where, where did you go from after the army started fighting professionally um, yeah I, started, I was fighting professionally a lot of again I was still young rebellious I was getting myself into bother you know out on the street you know fighting out on the street fighting in pubs clubs and, so I was getting injured or I was getting put into problems with the law so it kind of stalled my progression yeah in the sport yeah so and with that then your time was just going fast on me than I expected and when you're young you just don't think it's going as quick as it is well you know that's it. the problem is when you're young when you're young 40 is an old man and when you're 40 40 is a young man <laughs> yeah. you know what I mean and you just start thinking to yourself how's this gonna how's this gonna go but you mentioned being in tour the law and we're not going to go into loads of details but I've have to I've had to say as I said a few times you're one of the only people that I actually have ever met who has been like done the worst thing that you can imagine right and turned around and you've said it to me you know and it isn't like you've turned around and been really I'm trying to think of the best way to say it when me and you have like sat down we had a quiet moment together and you've turned around to me and you're like there's not a day that goes by that I wish I could have changed and done stuff right and we won't talk about like specific events but I know you and as a friend I know that you've you're still doing that every single day trying to change to have more and more options and knowing like as you said when you were young and stupid me and you both know instances where you've been involved in stuff and you're like shit man I wish I would have been able to walk away but no one's got a time machine mm -hmm. so especially for guys who are listening to this if they're younger lads what advice would you have given or what advice would you have liked to have been given years ago just generally not no, if we just just say we're talking like fights and boozers. Yeah, um, I, think, I think first my problem was finding a good role model. Right. I think that that's and that that was the fan. I think that's the good foundation first. I never had that. I never, you know, I never had a father figure. So I never had anybody guiding me. You know, a lot of my stuff that I've had to learn has been by making my own mistakes. Yeah. Um, and then growing up, being tough. You know, you're, the people you start looking up to are tough guys, you know. Yeah. You know, and then you start going looking back at the old school then. But I was, a, then I'm an old school guy with old school morals in a new school era. Yeah. Which they don't, don't fit very well. Don't fit very well, <laughs> no. especially in the, the age of Big Brother and everything else. Yeah, so, exactly. Um, and, I, and I had the misconception of believing that being a tough guy meant being able to fight and Fight well. They're you know, two separate things, aren't they? They're very, 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 very separate things, and you know, and just believing not just being a tough guy, but believing that you know, if you're a man, you've got to be able to fight, and you've got to be tough. That was that was the young side of me, you know, believing that that's that's what you have to be. You see, this is this is the thing. I I always liked you from day one, and that's the thing. But like, the one thing with me is I've always been pretty good on judging characters, and um, first of all there's always two sides to a story and then I always say no there's three sides to a story there's your side there's their side and then there's the truth and it's always somewhere stuck in the middle of those two right so what I always liked first of all when, when we met was how you stuck with the boxing and you got into it and then more and more as the years went on especially when you got into the jiu-jitsu and like that was for me I've said it to a few people. That was for me when I actually was like, 
any talk of redemption now is actually the truth. Because before then, you know, you go there and you go training, especially, you know, not, not so much the bare knuckle stuff, but in the boozer, you can turn around and say, I'm a changed man, I'm a changed man. But then if you keep doing what you do, then you're not changed. You know, you might be fooling people. But then when you went into jujitsu, and I'm going to get you to expand on it, because I like the way how you told me when you went in there, and it was just a completely... It was the biggest fucking wake-up call yeah, ever, right? Yeah, the biggest eye-opener in my life. Yeah? yeah. You, you know, tell the guys. Well, you know, I've come from being in a, in a boxing-orientated world, which, you know, boxing, from my experience in the, the circles of my boxing, is a very egotistical sport. Yeah. It's massive egotistical sport, which is obviously adds to a lot of the issues I had as well. Probably. Yeah, after I'd had the unfortunate tragic incident with the pub fight, I never ever wanted to use my hands again, ever. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, I, I believe then my lifestyle and my limited options put me in a situation which I could probably have handled differently if I'd had other options. Yeah. And made me realise that the impact of those decisions, because I hadn't had the other options, had um, implications for lots of people around me, yeah. being my family, other people as well. well you see, this, is, this it, is the thing, if you don't mind me interrupting, I've said this, it used to be, uh, the best way to do it now is, is it's got to be contextual, because what year was that in? That was 2009. So, right, I remember in 2009 in martial arts, everyone was still doing all this combative stuff and we were still working the fence stuff and it was like hit first, ask questions later. A couple of guys had got into the jiu-jitsu, but not many. Especially in like, you know, nowadays you speak to a young kid and, you know, an argument get, breaks out in the boozer and they go, oh, fists start flying. The kids are like, you what? Now, what it'll be is I'll get, on, I'll get on Facebook, I'll diss him, he'll diss him, we'll get 20 of our mates to turn up, we'll all take our shirts off, pretend to fight and then you know, calm it all down. But in Coventry, it was always a case of, you know, one, it, it would go from an argument or a look to someone getting, someone getting punched in a heartbeat. That's how it used to be. And I've said it so many times that the minute that you throw your punch, right, guess what? After that, everything is in the hands of God or physics. And guess what? Neither of them, neither of them you have any control over, you know what I mean? And it's a mad situation. Touching on that, you know, eventually the judge had said on that day that one blow, no attempt to follow up to a genuine perceived threat, which they did, he said that the reason, the reason for the conviction is that they, I could have used other force and that I could have pushed him or hit him in the stomach. But as you say, then other things could have took over and something else could have happened. Yeah. So. It, 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 it's, a, it's a, again, it's, it's one of those tragic situations where everyone's got an opinion until you say, have you been in that situation? You know, cause, like, thank God it's never ever happened to me. But I've hit loads of people and they've gone backwards and I've gone, God almighty. And you know, when I've seen their head bounce back and I've gone, wow. And then literally, I've, and again, it's that whole, I can't be there. And looking back on it now, as we, we spoke before, the environment, who you were hanging around with and everything else. So once you, once you got out, how, you, cause you, you, you changed it, right? Yeah, if, you know, I, 
had to have a serious look then at obviously what led up to that incident and you know through my lifestyle and you know my approach to things you know, yeah because I believe if I didn't then you know the idea that some people have that I'm a bad guy then it would have been right yeah if I didn't let it change me in some way or didn't check myself in some way yeah um, so and that was a mo- so that was the reason for the move abroad um, yeah that and work because um, so I was doing a little bit of the close protection work um, but I never wanted to throw a punch again ever yeah but I still wanted other options I needed to realise that it wasn't the punch that caused that tragic accident that way it was the lack of options well you see again as I said before once you got into jujitsu, you, know, you told me like the wake up call and you, you like because you went in there tough guy you've done a bit of grappling like, like we all had done in those days right which was awful and you went in and, and, and just then an artist yeah, I was, showed you what it was about right I was living in Lanzarote and um, there was a good reputable um, jiu-jitsu school there at Boys and Gym run by Christoph and Baruch Martin Barrios yeah both competitive YBJJF black belts yeah so I went in one day you know I, you know, I, I knew kind of knew what to expect in the, <laughs> in the sense of what we were doing what, what yep. we'd be doing in the art but boy you know these two guys are 60 something kilos each you know I weigh 80 something um, and they owned me they, they just like I was on it was like I had a 20 stone person on top of me and I was totally vulnerable and I just realised I weren't the big tough guy <laughs> you know there's all there is somebody smaller we get out there well, you, you know the, the one thing that I found especially with the jiu-jitsu it's if you're smarter you have to be athletic obviously you have to have that will to win you have to be dogged but if you're smart and you understand timing and understand leverage and have been through the adversity which like you know most of this one most people love jiu-jitsu because it's the nearest thing that they're going to get to really being at the coal face you know where they're really having to find out am i a quitter because how many how many guys you see walking to the gym last a month and go yeah yeah and i'm being nice. i'm being nice to these guys because nine yeah. times out of ten they come twice they yeah. go the first time they get battered and they come back again because they're like that couldn't have happened to me uh, yeah, yeah. A, a classic one, even not just the, the jiu-jitsu. Remember when we were, we were younger, every time there was a Rocky movie on, the gym was full the next day. <laughs> yeah. You know, so it's, and old Martin Homestead, bless his soul now, he, he's died now, the trainer at Balgreen. He just put everybody in sparring. Yes. The, the next night, half of those people were there once they got punched on the nose. That's it. That, yeah, is that, I, always, I always say that about Neil Simkin, you can always tell on a Friday night who actually trains. Because it's the guys who were there, and it's like it's an hour and a half of sparring, and it's yeah. all the guys in there. So, what was it about jujitsu that just got you? It was it was it was the whole up. It was how humble it was. Yeah. So how you know it humbles you, and I needed that. I needed that. You know, probably didn't know it at the time, but I realised how effective it was. Yeah. You know, so yeah, just just how humble it is, and, and then it's the whole. Boxing had stopped challenging me. Right. It stopped challenging me. I think the trouble with boxing was I've had a talent in this, and with boxing, there's only so many moves in it, and it's yeah. then just perfecting the timing with them. There's no end 
yeah. game with oh with jiu-jitsu jiu-jitsu is constantly evolving you know you go in like the one thing with one thing about jiu-jitsu is if you miss two weeks classes you go back in those guys have had a quantum leap yeah. there's a position that you haven't worked or there's one of the guys have been working a footlock and you're like never saw that before it's like that fog the fog just sets in doesn't it yeah yeah exactly that so what what got you then was it did mma come before jiu-jitsu um no mma came after jiu-jitsu after i really got into the jiu-jitsu because i just started living and breathing it over there and yeah. i was i was four hours a day five days a week and they and they rolled hard in yes. the, over in the gym. so it, it was tough at first because i was just I was obviously I was having my ass handed to me. Left yeah, you get creamed a lot, man. Yeah, yeah. But um, it, I was still I was still soul searching at the time. I was still going through my my own direction. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I'd realised boxing had become my was my weakness. Right. You know, thinking about it, it was a talent. You know, I was I was good I was good at it, but it was my weakness because I depended on it. Yeah. And Jiu-Jitsu had given me something where a new confidence where I didn't need to depend on that anymore and I had other options. Yeah. And I was comfortable with those options. Yeah. So then I wanted to, and it gave me a different perspective on me using my hands again. Yeah. As I, I you know, before I didn't want to. So me, I've got a friend over there called Clive Hunt, Clive Sweeney, sorry, a good friend of mine in Anzuati and Nelson from X Fighters. Right. Uh, he took me he took me up there to get into the MMA multi side yeah. of things, which um, I loved. I just, I, again, the other thing was the effectiveness of leg kicks. Oh, I, I just hadn't I hadn't really because of the <laughs> boxing bo- dom- boxing had dominated my you know my game for so long. Just the effectiveness of it, a kick. And, and, it, and, just, and it, you feel it the whole fight. You yeah. feel it, well, you feel it for a week after. It was suddenly. It was like it was like somebody just took my back again. Yeah. For the first time, it was, <laughs> I was like, you know, what have you just done to me? And were you training, or do you think you were going to get back into? Were you going to get back in the the, the ring? Um, I hadn't really thought about competing at the time because, as I say, at that time I was still coming out of a, of a dark period. Yeah. For, you know, of me changing. I'd say changing, but adapting what I had and, and made. I don't know. I suppose I'm still on that kind of journey. Mm-hmm. No, I'm not. I've not. Um, yeah, but that's what we talked about. This, yeah. this is an ongoing process. This is this is what sucks and what is awesome about life. Because yes. you think you're going to have it all figured out by the time you're 40, and then you go, I've got more questions now, and I've got more things that I've got to deal with now. Because this is one of the things we were talking about uh, with it, with you know, with training. Because we're going to do a little bit together. Because uh, tell the guys who are listening it's not yeah you've you've done quite a few bare knuckle fights right yeah and it, this is this is a title shot right yeah this this is for a world title i can't mention who i'm fighting at the moment because um, they're not um, advertising it till march right so but um yeah the guys fought for the world title twice before again it's the bare knuckle and it seems different to what I was saying earlier about me not wanting to use my hands again yeah but you know when we were talking earlier before we started putting it on well before we put the put the mic on and started going I was thinking to myself you went from a period of after what had happened tragically to never ever doing it again then trying to work out how to do it and now coming back and coming to terms with it and accepting it and accepting who you are and like you know the thing is now you go and have a bare knuckle fight, you're not just going to be a bare knuckle fighter for the rest of your life. Because yeah. you've got so many, as we said before, 
we don't want to be frail old men. No. And what we want is we want to have more and more skills. The more skills we have, the more options we have, the more success we have in life. And the more times we just turn around and go, this ain't for me, I'm out the door. And me personally, I know what you're saying, it sounds like it was counter to what you've been saying, but it isn't because it's finally accepting, you know what, I, I am pretty good at throwing, throw, throwing my hands, I like competing, and going back into it. And again, you know, I want to ask you your personal opinion on this, because a lot of people look at bare knuckle boxing and they think it's barbaric, right? But what they never ever get is that both guys have gone in there, into that ring, both understanding what's going down. Because I can never work that one out. Yeah, um, it seems barbaric because superficially it looks barbaric. Yeah. Um, but people have got to remember, you know, boxing started without gloves. Yeah. You know, they only introduced gloves to make fights last longer. Yeah. That's a really, you know, initially that's what the gloves were added for. But superficially, yeah, it looks worse because of the cuts, yeah. etc. But long, over the longevity of the fight, wearing gloves causes more damage in yeah. the fight. Because you can hit somebody in the head 300 times in a round about the head with a bigger, yeah. bigger um, tool being the glove being on your hand and not hurt your hands, but you cause a lot of damage to that person's brain. But in, in bare knuckle, you can't punch them around the head because you're going to break your hand. Yeah, so the, the, human hand won't, the human hand will take maybe six or seven, especially if you throw heavy. Yeah. If you throw um, heavy, yeah. Yeah, and, and you, it, it just has to be off. The wrist will go, you break a finger. Yeah, there's a different skill to it. Um, it's obviously, the way you're throwing the punches, catching the elbows and all the rest of it. And, and again, you can't, can't punch somebody in the head 300 times. You throw a 12 no. punch combo, five of them be on the head. Cause when you hit on the head, you just can't go over. Your hands yeah. are broke. Yeah, it's not. It's not good. Now you just hit on something. I'm going to ask your opinion on this. Recently, not just in my, well, not, in martial arts, we we've had quite a bit of it recently. Where there's been some tragic events where people have like committed suicide, and then we both know guys who have gone into martial arts, and especially MMA. They've had all the gym wars, and now you see them, and they're suffering with depression, anxiety, panic attacks. How much of that do you reckon is head trauma? I, I, don't, I, I don't really know on, on that side. It, it, it could be a lot to do with not being able to express themselves a lot, you know, and that could be, come from head trauma. Obviously, the medical side, I, I, I couldn't really uh, comment on. Yeah, but the, 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 the thing is, as well, there's a culture, especially in training, where me and you, you know, I'd ring you up and say, Shane, I'm having a great day today. Do you want to go and have a cup of coffee? And talk shite, and we'd be, you know, be okay. But you, you, there, there's, there is a massive culture where guys won't turn around and say, do you know what, I'm struggling today. You know what I mean? Because we're not supposed to be depressed, are we? We're not supposed to feel anxious or down. Yeah, we're supposed to again, I think that's, that's the ego side of some of the sports. You know, you know <laughs> you've got to be a man, you've got to be tough. And then that's, that's the, again, the jiu-jitsu lost, you know, you learn to lose your ego in jiu-jitsu. Pretty quickly. I'm not, I, you know, I was always afraid, you know, you're afraid of losing. Nobody likes losing, but, yeah. you know, but it's part of the growth. It's a part of the growth. I've realised that now, and I don't mind losing in a fight as long as I have a good fight. Winners, winners you know, and learners, and having a good, yeah, exactly having a good fight. It's like, I remember, I remember first couple of times I actually rolled in jiu-jitsu, and I thought the world would stop spinning. I got choked out by some kid 
or worse still, a girl. <laughs> like, bear in mind, my, you know, Neil Simpkins, one of my best friends in the world, and, you know, his, I love his children. And his daughter now, thank God she's over 18, so I can say she's a woman that beats me up. But she, she's been beating me up since she was about 13. But she's, her jiu-jitsu is awesome. And she's driven, it's unbelievable. And that's the, you know, that's the one thing, especially with the jiu-jitsu, is, that, you know, you can get caught by anybody at any time. And the belt, as good as it is, doesn't really count for an awful lot. Because you're a purple belt now, right? Yeah. And did you enjoy yourself more as a blue belt than you did as a purple belt? <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> no, not at all. No? No, I didn't. No. no. Is it, is it, uh, me personally, I got to, uh, when, I, when I was, when I got like four stripes on my white belt, I started to feel good. Then I became a blue belt and I felt crap for at least two stripes. Then I felt great again. And then I got my purple belt and it's just been bad. Yeah. It's been bad because now if a white belt passes my guard, I'm looking at that going, how's this mug passing my guard? But this is a guy who's training six times a week. Yeah. And I'm training three times a week. I, I, I've kind of gone through that as well. And I went through it really recently. Um, I was over at the Gracie Academy uh, tra- training uh, um, with um, Warren Gracie, Evandro Nunes and Chris Saunders. Yes. Which they, none of them need introduction. You know, awesome, yeah. Legends in their own right. And one of the private sessions I was having with Evandro Nunes, he opened my mind to that whole, there's no bad position. And if somebody wants to pass enough, let them use their energy to pass, you know, and manipulate it. Really? You know, and that, that's, you know, they really, going over there and training with these guys, really opened my eyes to the, that it is the gentle art. And I couldn't understand that before, you know, because everything hurt all the time <laughs> yeah but you Excuse see language right? yeah, no no but it's like, you know when you think you think to yourself it's like nearly everything is all about perspective me and you look at we look at it guy passes your guard and you think to yourself it's all over and then you think about it well he's passed his guard now he's screwed and I, I'll just pull half guard yeah and then, but you never look at it that way you never look at the a small battle and then look at it and go well actually no it's an opportunity not a, it's mad exactly jiu-jitsu uh, I think I think jiu-jitsu is literally the saviour for, like, I, no, Jesus, we both consider ourselves still young men, but I, I think that for all men, I think jiu-jitsu should be, you should at least try it once. Yeah, because yeah, boxing, totally. boxing will scare people off, whereas you go, look, we'll just have a little bit of a roll around in our pyjamas, have a bit of a crack, and it can be as hard or as soft, you know yourself, your flow roll, you can, you can go for hours, and it's wonderful. And then you have a couple of rocks, and you're like, after about the fifth one in a row, you go, I, I, I haven't got any ma- many more fights in me, eh? Yeah, I think it's just to teach you to be humble. So I think that's what I think it's a great base for anybody going into a combat sport at all. I think that should be their first stop. Because it teaches them to be humble first. Yeah, and what, I'll tell you what, this is going to, I wasn't even going to ask this, but it leads me into something. So I don't know how much you can talk about your CP work and who you work for. Because mm-hmm. I know, I've seen, pictures that you put up every now and again of people like even I know who even I recognize who they are famous actresses and stuff like that how much do you think that the the grappling and jiu-jitsu has helped you in CP work you know as opposed to just being able to punch somebody yeah well for one it's given me patience (laughs) (laughs) I think that's 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 the key one it's given me most of yeah again it's, it's given me that confidence as well 
in, in some situations where it can easily handle somebody out of the way. Yeah. Um, and do it quite passively aggressively if, if, yeah. if you can get where I'm going with it. Um, whereas before, you always stand off toe to toe because that's, that's, that's what boxing's always giving you, you know. Yeah. You're always setting somebody up, but you're also putting them into an aggressive stance as well then because they're feeling threatened by your stance. Whereas in Jiu-Jitsu, you can sit inside, you can hold the arm, you know, you get a little hundred hug, you know, it keeps them passive but without you being passively aggressive. Yeah, yeah. So it, 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 works, it works lovely with... Um, but yeah, I, what I like is I like the escalation of it, yeah. where you can just go there and it's like, you know, somebody's getting too close and you, they don't even realise it, but you've got a two-on-one. So, you know, you, you, so you've got a two-on-one and they start playing up, you can arm drag them, short choke them and they're out the door or you could just like literally just grab your arm and say look you know yeah. well th- thank you, thankfully I've never had to had to use it yet you know obviously you'd always be the last resort the last resort for um, anything any kind of job uh, you know we should be um, our job should have been doing good enough that that doesn't happen that's it but that you know you just hit somebody on the head I, one of my main instructors in America Rick Fay, he did a bit of CP work and uh, he worked with a few, few separate people, but you know, he, it's like he was, he, he, he was with uh, Larry Hartzell, who was a legend, yeah, absolute legend. And he was Mr. T's bodyguard. And when Mr. T needs a bodyguard, yeah. imagine how tough that guy was. Um, Rick said that he, yeah, they looked after Hulk Hogan once. And I was like, Hulk Hogan? But look, he's, and he went, no, it was, it's all about a case of not protecting him. It's just so that it's the whole threat awareness stuff. And he said that the first time that he, he ever really had to do, he said celebrities were okay because literally you're just dealing with guys who want signatures or they want selfies. And he said that he looked after Oliver North, you know, the around contra guy. And he said, but it's a whole different ball game then. Yeah. And he it's said a, that the guy who trained element. him, huh? It's a hostile element. Yeah. A very, yeah, very hostile element. And he turned around and he said that one of the guys who was teaching the first course he ever went on said, the minute that you're taking a gun out of a holster, you have to think to yourself, how many times, at least five times, I must have screwed up that badly that this is my only option left? Yeah. Is, is, that, is that like literally the case? In that, the is, that, that, is the, that is the truth, yeah. If, if, if that happens, obviously, if somebody's got a, a determined threat, it doesn't matter how much you, know, um, you put in, something's going to spark. But yeah, if you're reaching for your holster, then you've done something wrong. You've done something wrong in the prep, in the, the countermeasures, the contingencies that you've put in, put in place, haven't worked. Because again, something. this is the other thing that I've always been fascinated. All of the CP work, the military, everything. I like, and trust me, I'm no Walt. I'm not, you know, I'm not like that. But oh, military strategy fascinates me. You know, from Napoleon and Rommel and Montgomery onwards. But there's. As there's a very distinct process that you follow in any sort of conflict that when you look at it you just go that's exactly the way that I, I approach jiu-jitsu and it's like you know say you're competing you're competing is the same as doing but the, the champions are made in the gym right yes great, yeah. and it's the same as when you work when you're doing CP work all the work's been done in the preparation and then yeah. literally you just rock up and you you know and again it's the options thing yeah, I mean, in SCP, people don't see the work that goes on in the background. It's a simple transit from one 
venue to another venue, you know, that could take two days, you know, and it's only a 20 minute drive. Right. But, you know, for the, you know, the venue which they're exiting, the area needs to be, um, have a, a security checked in on it, you know, and then the routes to, to the next venue, you know, you need to have one or two of those routes. Yeah. You know, the, the venue going to needs to have a security plan done with it. You know, everything needs to be comfortable, depending on the client that you've got as well. Yeah. The principal which is coming with you, you know, that has to suit them. So all the security measures has to be put in to suit them, both direct threats, indirect threats, um, and then basically do the concierge job for them as well, make sure they've got everything they need. I mean, yeah. something as simple as, you know, if you've got somebody who has got a stalker following them or, or who are easily recognised, you know, with a strong fan base, you know, if they're a smoker, you know, it's a simple thing. As soon as they get off a flight at the airport, they're going to want to have a cigarette. Yeah. You need to have somebody stare, somewhere sterile for them to have that cigarette without 30, 40 people who want to do more or a stalker having a chance at getting near them. Or going from there to the um, venue where they're going to or the hotel, they might want to stop at a, a, somewhere and get some cigarettes. So it's a simple thing like doing some background checks. What do they smoke? What cigarettes do they smoke? Already have them from when they get off. Now, it's wow. a little thing like that can make all the difference. But, you know, this is, this is uh, going to lead me into something. I, I, I just want your opinion on it. Because nowadays, if you listen to the news, the level of threat assessment, you've just come back from America, so I'm guessing when you went in, Homeland Security, from the time you first used to go to America, because I know this myself, it's like going to a different country now. Because they are totally and utterly, like, up to a point of overkill, that worried that something's going to happen. But unfortunately, you've got this mad shit going on every single day. And right from a guy who's in CP, and like this is, I really want your, uh, your, like your advice on this, is now it's like, you get on, the, get on the tube, be more aware. Public transport, be more aware. You know, think about it this way. Who would have ever thought going to an Ariana Grande concert, right, and being, being a father of young girls, yeah, I'm not saying that you're not a big fan of Ariana Grande, you know what I mean? But you might, have, you might have been there. And what advice would you give? Because this is what, this is, this is I think you've got a unique take on this from like your military and the CP work. It's a difficult one, obviously, being, especially for, I can see from the, the parental side on people who haven't got a security background. Yeah. Um, you know, every, everything's a threat to those, you know. And I still do it myself, you know, even when I'm just, I'm not working, I'm always doing a dynamic threat assessments and stuff. You just can't help it, it's just the way you go through, do things. Don't sit with your back to the door. Yeah, it's as simple as that. Yeah. It's just keeping an open mind about things. And I think what, what one of the key things is, not to stress too much about it, because the, the, unfortunately, these type of threats, no matter how much we do, they're going to happen. Yeah. You know, so don't, don't worry. I wouldn't worry too much. You know, we did, obviously there's a sense of worry. We all we need to keep vigilant, but we can't let it ruin our lives. And, yeah, and the other thing is, can't, we can't look at everybody as a, as a threat. You, you will create that problem. That's yeah. the one thing I've noticed. It's like, you know, if you, if you disenfranchise people enough, first of all, the idiots believe it, and then the masses start believing it. Yeah. And then it's, and you can't have that. And again, it's like you were saying, if you buy into this, we have to be lucky all the time, they only have to be lucky once. I've spent countless hours on this planet and never had any trouble. And I'll tell you right now, any trouble I've ever had in my life 
Shane, I've brought most of it my way, you know what I mean? Oh, yeah, I'll snap you on that. Yeah, I can snap you on that. Um, yeah. yeah it's one that, so what's the future hold for you, man? Well, at the moment, I've, I've just I just finished the contract um, on the CP work. Still doing a little bit with Snapchat. Um, I know European stuff. Um, what, what's that? Can you mention what that's? I, I can't really say much on it. I, do, I just I have a contract with security company we, we, we both me and, the, me and the other guy we, we um, work with Snapchat um, right the owners and people around them when they come to Europe so. oh right oh, so, uh, for a minute there I thought it was like um, I thought like it was like tech security net no, security no no that's a different so, field yeah, no, it's, it's just it's the, the close protection stuff with, with the owners and, and, and you know, we won't mention uh, uh, I tell you what, we we'll say hypothetically then, right? Uh, people know who Elon Musk is, you know, from Tesla. They know who like Jeff Bezos is from Amazon, right? But say, you know, they know who Zuckerberg is. But there's certain people that you don't know. But they're, they're you know, would they would they be considered high profile, or is it just that? Yeah, they're always high profile. You know, um, classic example is uh, the Equisons. Yeah. You know when. Um, I think it was the mother-in-law was the mother was yes 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 uh, it's, it's money you know when people are, have that much money to hand over 30 million to make sure their loved ones are safe it, you know it's a splashing upon to them and they'll do it won't they uh, but people will work do two years preparation for that kind of thing if a serious threat like well that. you see this is the this is the mad thing you see it's like you don't think you don't you know you don't think things like that exist and then you think about like you know John Paul Getty yeah, and you know, they, and, they and, it's like, and it was like they mailed fingers back, and yeah. it was like, no, no. The other, the other thing is then, it's we, we did, we're not just there to protect their health and their liberty. We're also there to protect their image. Yeah, and a lot of people would be there to, to spoil their image and competitors and that that kind of stuff. So wow, man. Yeah, both. You know, and that that goes through the, the industry, whether it be pop stars or you know, so. And uh, I'm gonna I'm asking a question, but I only know it's because. I've spoke to a few bodyguards in the past. It's nowhere near as glamorous as it looks. <laughs> not at all, not at all. You're sitting around most of the time, not, not doing a lot. Mundane, I, eh? I, I remember sitting outside a hotel door till five o'clock in the morning. So, yeah. Um, and then having to be up at eight again. So, it's, uh, yeah, it's not, it's not as, as glamorous as it may sound. So, the future is a bit of CP work, win this fight. Yeah, I've got this, this um, I'm, go I'm going to compete in the um, London Open. Um, in March the third, you're, 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 you're lucky. I was uh, I was ready to lose weight. Yeah. I was going to meet you. The thing is, is uh, this is like this will give you an idea. We, we wouldn't have been in the same category. I'd been a bit older than you and a bit a, a lot heavier than you. But it was I, I said this to a mutual friend of ours, Neil Mangan. I was like, when people say, "Oh, you're pretty good at jujitsu," and I said, "I am not even the best purple belt in the city I live in." I said, "I can name five guys right now that are cream me." It's yeah, so you're going to compete in that as well? Yeah, I'm going to do. I'm just, I just want to get myself back into that competitive mode yeah. again. And also, after coming back from the Gracie Academy, I've got this whole new game I'm working on now. Really? I'm trying to incorporate into you know, the gentle side, as we said, you know. And so, before I kept, you know, um, the guys over there called me finisher. Just kept trying to finish all the time. I kept saying, stop trying to finish all the time. Yeah. Stop trying to fight when you get. Bottom, when you're in bottom position, yeah. it's, you know, it's not a bad position. 
it's just a different position. <laughs> so, um, and that's where that whole finisher thing's kind of adapted from. But yeah, um, I'm trying to adapt what they've taught me now. So I'm not going down expecting great things, you know, because I'm, 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 I'm trying, as I say, I'm working on some new things, but still want to see how they work for real. Yeah. You know? So, um, so that, that's, that's my aim with it. Uh, yeah, so, and to get myself in a competitive mode again for this uh, world title fight I've got coming up. And finally, this is the last one I'm going I'm to ask you. If there was anybody on the planet, alive or dead, that you could train with, who would it be? Wow. Oh. Wow. I've, I've got a few of those. Throw them out there, man. Throw them out. Well, Dan Henderson. You know, Endo, yeah, man. Dan, I, I, you know, Legit tough guy, a, man. A, a warrior. I love him. Um, and I was actually sat next to him, but you know, you just, you know, just, I don't get, I don't get, because I'm around stars a lot, and so I don't get shell shots really. Yeah. And I, um, I did, I did. I got, I got, I got, everyone's saying hello to him, so I, I, I got, sat next to him, like, and you didn't do it now, really. I, I thought, he's a really cool guy. I, yeah. met, I met him literally two weeks after the Bisping fight, where, you know, you know, where, where he was out cold and he just dived on him and punched yeah. him again. And I've got a picture of me on me and him on Facebook where I said, "Can we do the Bisping thing?" So like, I've got my head down and he's got the fist up against me. And uh, I said to him, "I said it was a bit of overkill." And he turned around and he said, "Guy was talking shit." I wanted him to realise there was a price yeah. to pay for talking shit. And he, again, he's an old school guy. Yeah. You know, him when him and Linland and Couture were doing that Team Quest. Yeah. You know, they they were. They were well, I've, I've always I've always loved him. Yeah, there'd be him. Khabib. Khabib. Khabib, wow. Yeah. He, he's, just, he's just a wow factor. He is. So, I'd love that's to, another I'd hard, love to learn life, something right? from him. You know, yeah. he, he, well, he could, he's, he, as I say, he's just a wow factor. Yeah, he's, he's, uh, he's, he's something else. Um, Anyone else? Yeah, and then someone dead, then yeah, Ali, just for his personality. Personality, and, and then obviously my idol, Super Ray Robinson. Yeah, all, all, yeah, just huge, huge, huge men. Now, I, I am going to ask you this. It was going to be the last question, but you know me. I'm, always, I'm guilty of always dragging it out. Right. Floyd Mayweather versus McGregor in the, in the boxing ring. Went 10 rounds. Me personally, I thought Floyd carried him for at least the last six, right? 100%. 100%. How do you think it worked out in the cage? Um, <laughs> all, I think if... Um, if they keep it standing up, I know, and we all know McGregor's game is standing up. Yeah. You know, if they keep it standing up, it's going to be the same thing again. Yeah. You know, it'll be the same, exact same thing again. And if he could work on takedown defense, I don't think it's going to be as easy as people think. No. I don't think it's going to be as easy. Because I, I know some guys who can get in, you know, who go in that, in that cage, and they, they, the ground game is terrible. But it's so hard to take down, it and is. then they, you know, and I think, and McGregor, if you can't take him down, I think it'll be the same thing again. Well, yeah, I had this, I had this discussion with a lad. He was telling me, he goes, McGregor will get him down. I said, first of all, his jiu-jitsu isn't great, yeah. you know, which always shocks me because you know, he trains with John Kavanagh, who's one of the best jiu-jitsu guys in Ireland. You know what I mean? Well, one of the best jiu-jitsu guys in the world, and he's one of the best MMA coaches in the world. But when people start saying, but it'll be in the cage, be in the cage. You know, Floyd Mayweather, he's got no ground game. And I'm like, Chuck Liddell had no ground game. Chuck Liddell had two things, takedown defense, and he could get back up. Yeah. You know, 
tell me a time when Chuck did any submissions. Yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah. And I think, I think if Floyd goes in, I think his game will be to, just get, it'll be to move around again. But this time, he'll close that distance with the punches, which is normally McGregor's game. Yes. But McGregor only does it with one punch. Yes. Whereas Mayweather does it with 12. And then there's the whole... And, and the, the classic example from the boxing match was, and I said to everybody, you can't beat boxing conditioning for boxing. No. You know, an MMA, MMA uh, fighters, they haven't got boxing conditioning. No. They're doing 12 punch combos, taking 12 punch combos, you know, because it's, cause it's something which is, will get you in trouble in the cage. But you, got, I, you, got, you got to learn, again, it's, it's rolling with a shot and eating a shot. Yeah. And that's, if, you're, if that's you've never boxed, you, that, you, can, you can't eat shots, I'm sorry. No. Yeah? Yes. That's, so that's where I think, if McGregor can't put him on the floor, I don't think he'll catch him to get him on the floor. No. I think he's just going to keep running, we'll keep running from him. Same way he did from Diaz. Yeah. Okay, so. Right, mate, I'm telling same you. Same way he did from Diaz. And um, I think he'll just, keep, he'll just keep moving around for him. I don't think he'll be able to catch him to take. I don't think, I don't, again, the, you know, history will he'll show. Steal the points. I think he'll steal yeah. the points. History will show literally this that Conor McGregor was easily the most looked after, cosseted, and protected fighter in any combat sport ever uh, because this, this, this is this has tickled me huh? so much uh, this has been i've had this argument with people so many times it's like and when he joined ufc and he and he got that first title shot and when i can see how they moved everything around for him jigged it around yeah and it was like and i said to everyone he's going to get both those titles and he's not going to defend any of them no He'll never defend them, and he won't. And he, that's the second he did in cage, cage warriors. He got both of those. He never defended them. He's never defended the title in his as a, as career. A, as a businessman, you have got to give him his due. And again, Dana White knows the score. Like what it is is this, right? What do Americans love? Well, what do fight fans love? Fight fans love to see two guys fight, right? Now, what do what do white fight fans love? Because at the end of the day, Larry Holmes versus Jerry Cooney sold more tickets than Ali Fraser, right? Because they want that hope that maybe... That the, and what do, white, what do white Irish American fans want? And again, I, I always say, and I'm Irish and white, yeah? But it's ultimate wish fulfillment. And it's like, is he good? He, yeah, he's, I think he's okay. I don't think he's the best in the world. Certainly not. Oh. Is he a showman? Yes, he is. Can he sell a fight? Yes, he can. And guess what? He'll keep on doing that. And it was, it's always been the same thing. Why get paid once when you can get paid twice? And the UFC has now proved it with the rubber match. Why get paid once or twice when you can get three times? Yeah, he's a marketing dream. Um, oh, it's unbelievable. But, but yeah, he's, uh, it, 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 he's been know, very fortunate in the I wish I had that been had, um, hey, Chad Mendes, Chad Mendes with two weeks notice. Uh, Jose so Aldo, Chad Mendes seconds. was winning that fight. Oh. He was winning that fight. You know, without a doubt, he was winning that fight. And if he'd had a full camp, he would have won that fight. Would have kept him on that floor. Yeah, but Chad Mendes um, ain't going to sell like Conor McGregor sells. No, and they're never going to give him a second chance at it. No. Well, so. you, again, it's Mighty Mouse. You look at that. It's like I'd watch Mighty Mouse every day of the week. Yeah. But small guys. About him. He, small yeah. guys don't sell fights, I reckon. No, yeah. I don't know. He, he's, he's. How could I forget about him? Hey, he's unbelievable, Mighty isn't Mouse he? Is, yeah. Uh, he's great. Eric Paulson told me this. When the Reebok deal came in, Dana White made him write a check back to Microsoft 
for Xbox because he was he was uh, promoting them, wasn't he, for a million dollars, and they were like, "You got to do that." And you know, they don't even give him. You know, Mighty Mouse doesn't even get headline status on Fight Night shows. And I, 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 he's the, probably the most all-round, the best all-round fighter in UFC, easily, and has been for for years now, for a number of years. But again, it's yeah, you know, we're fight fans. But we only make up fifteen percent, twenty percent of the guys who'd watch UFC. Yeah. All the rest are drunken fools. Yeah. Yeah, and drunken fools. Well, that's like, what I said about drunken fool shit. The, 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 the McGregor hype train. You know. Yeah, he's he's been great for bringing the sport into the limelight, but he's not the sport. No. You know, once he goes, those McGregor fans are McGregor fans. They're not MMA fans. They'll go with him. You yeah. know, so. That's where I've been a little bit disappointed with the UFC, where the, you know they've kind of dirtied the sport a little bit for him. Yeah. Whereas you know it was always the honest game, wasn't it? They were, well, weren't you know there weren't undefe- there was no undefeated fighters. You know it was, it was style versus style originally. Yeah. It was, built, so, it was built on honesty. So yeah, so it was, you know it's been a bit disappointing the way they've done that, and that's why I love Khabib. <laughs> that's why Khabib is like he says it how it is as well. He says. Yeah. Looking after your chicken, you know, <laughs> golden goose. Yeah, but, but I tell you what, Rory McDonald's the same man. Yeah, Rory, McDo- Rory McDonald's not in the UFC because Rory McDonald will eat up their top ten. Yeah, for breakfast, and that yeah, and that's a guy that it's only when you talk to him you realise he's twenty eight years of age. Yeah, what a warrior. Yeah, I interviewed him. You saw him in the last fight, right? Oh yeah, I was at, I was at the Bellator when with Rampage and um, Chael. Yeah, that's when I was sat next to Dan Anderson and. Uh, <laughs> You're gonna have yeah. to get me some tickets, man. Yeah. I do work for the tour, and I don't even get—I don't even get tickets like that. <laughs> it, it, it was ah, oh, what a warrior still. Cause you, you, you think, oh, has he had too many hard fights yeah. now? Is he? But is that, is that, is that and 28? Think, and I think for that fight, that was the best thing that happened to him for that fight. Yeah. As soon as it happened to him, he just got the talk down. He should have just—he just lost the fight to him. It's done. like I said, I interviewed him uh, before the daily fight. And I said, will you stand and bang? He goes, I'll go anywhere. And I was like, he goes, you think I'm scared of Paul Daly? <laughs> yeah. And I was like, well, obviously. And I know Paul, and I'm like, obviously not. And he was like, no, anywhere. And like, he manhandled, he manhandled him like a guy had walked into an MMA school on their yeah. first day. Yeah. And that's Paul Daly. Yeah. And Paul Daly's a no joke, yeah. man. I, I, I kind of I knew it'd be too strong for Paul. Yeah. Because he, he's, he's always a big guy for his weight, you know. You, you see him, you go, oh, yeah, he's, he's huge. Yeah, so yeah, I thought I thought he'd be a bit, he would be a bit too strong for Paul. So I, I weren't too surprised there on that one, but I was surprised how he did it so easily. Yeah, as you say. Yeah, I, t- I tell you what, we're gonna have to do, man. We're gonna wrap it up anyway because we've got Chopper the dog here with us, and Chopper's an absolute star. But um, he's molted everywhere. He has molted all over every, all of us. Now he's a top man, but we're, we're going to get off. But I'll tell you what we're going to have to do. We're going to have to do the old uh, the old Rogan watch the fights and just do a commentary on it. Yeah, right. Yeah, that'd be we'll great. That. great. Shane, as I said, I, first of all, I, I wanted you. This is for the benefit of the microphone anyway, but I've always wanted to sit down and chat to you because I've always thought you were out of nearly everybody that I know. You're easily the one of the most misjudged people I know. And again, it's... Thank you. Thank you. No, but it's the truth. Yeah, but uh, you know the school yourself, man. It's like... We live in a city where 90% of the guys we meet are mugs, you know, and if they're not mugs, we're drinking them, they're, they're always mugs. And it's like, you know, you, you, 
It's only when you start speaking to someone that you actually know what they're about. Yeah, I'm thinking, I think it's the beauty of age though, isn't it? I think that's getting older and experience really makes us realise that. As I say, you asked me what, what advice I'd give to the younger ones now, it's to find a good role model. Not, not well, you know, not one who's t- it's too much now on the TV about everybody being tough guys and you know everybody being in gangs and you know your tough guys the guys who have adversity, life adversity, not yeah, you know, not um, not having to having to fight all the time. I mean, toughest guys I've met have been the nicest and humblest guys and coolest people. And guys, that funny that, isn't it? Great round. Yeah, that, that's what. You know, well, that's what it should be. It's, people make you feel good. They're the people you need to look up to. Exactly. Well, you see that we're here for such a short time. That's one. And if yeah, if they're not bringing joy to your life and vice versa, then get out the door. And yeah, you know, the role model thing is mad. You know, I teach kids, and it's. I always say you got to be a black belt in life. Be good to your mom. Be good to your dad. You know. Don't put up, you know, you want to be extraordinary, you just got to do extra. And it's like all these young lads now that are coming through. And if they're getting into gangs and being roadmen, then that, that's hard going. But even the guys who are, like, who are well adjusted, they're there and they're going, yeah, I need a challenge in my life. And they go, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to go to base camp in Everest, or I'm going to like, do Machu Picchu, or I'm going to do a white, not, you know, I'll do a white collar boxing match. And you're like, you want a challenge, get a job that you don't really like, do 45 hours a week, because yeah. you've got some girl pregnant and you and her don't really get on, but that kid needs you there three days a week. That's a hero to me, man, that's a proper guy. Yeah, you know, that's it, you know, when it comes to judging people, you know, don't judge them where they've been, judge them where they are and where they're going now. People make mistakes. Man, do you know what? Mistakes. We're gonna wrap up on that, so that's the wisest shit I've heard all day. Take care, man. Okay, thank you, man. Thanks a lot Pleasure for that. Always. Hey, man, that was great, man. Thanks for taking the time to listen today. You can listen to more shows like this on MixedMartialArts.com. Mixed Martial Arts is an abrupt audio production. Today's show was produced by Luke Berry. One, two, three.